0: Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 through 29 and then we'll read the answers together in the catechism for Lord's Day 41 that's on page 54 in the back of our hymnals. This is God's word given to us as people for our good. Let us give our attention to its reading, Matthew chapter 5, three verses, verses 27 through 29. Our Lord says this, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Beginning in question and answer 108, the catechism opens up the seventh commandment, for us. Let's read the answers together with one voice. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? God condemns all unchastity. We should therefore thoroughly detest it and, married or single, live decent and chaste lives. Does God, in this commandment, forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why He forbids everything which incites unchastity, whether it be actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires. People today seem to have an intense fascination with the relationships and marriages of celebrities. Not only the relationships and marriages, but the downfall of both, when it all seems to inevitably, most often, fall apart. There is an obsession, what really we could call it, with documenting and reporting their every move. What are they doing? Where are they going? Where are they going out to eat? These kinds of things. And with this obsession, sadly, an industry has been created. Hasn't there been? Celebrity news media. And uh, we have seen, really, a a large portion of the press start to just report on these things as they have noticed that people just seem to can't get enough of it. A lot of this uh, desire is perhaps a search validation. These, seeing these celebrities and the travails of their relationships oftentimes uh, humanizes them to us, makes them seem maybe perhaps not so far away, perhaps makes people feel better about themselves. But it is not just the desire to see their problems that involves people in these stories. Sometimes there is genuine concern for them. Although perhaps it may seem a bit odd, there are people who really want these relationships from afar to succeed. Several years ago, there was a very high-profile couple, married couple, both celebrities, who got a divorce and many people were thrown into confusion and despair. There was a newspaper article in the Sacramento Bee That interviewed a woman who was particularly upset and distraught about this couple's marriage falling apart and she commented by saying, if they can't make it, who can? The point was that this woman looked at all that this couple had. They were, in the eyes of the world, close to perfection. The most attractive couple that most could imagine. They were free of worry and had as much money as they ever could have wanted. They had very successful careers as actors and they had the respect of everyone around them. They seemed so nice and down to earth and so in love when they were caught on camera. And yet, in the end, they went their separate ways. The lament of this woman is interesting, isn't it? Though many people would say that marriage as an institution does not mean much to them, There is something from deep within us that testifies to its meaning. Deep within our very persons that testifies to the meaning of an institution like marriage. We know and we sense that it is important, that it is foundational, that it is lasting. There's all kinds of evidence in our culture that shows How much people value it, right? The culture of the $75,000 wedding tells us this. The recent uh, political agenda of changing the definition of marriage shows that there is a deep longing within people to have validation, to be able to participate in this institution. All of these things betray a longing deep within us. Something within our deepest selves that holds the desire to be taken, to be consumed with the love for a single object and to have that object of our affection return that love. I believe it is with all of these things that we see marriage reflecting for us the deepest longing within us to know and to love and to be loved by our Creator, And that is why in God's law we see this commandment, this second commandment, which teaches us about the importance of marriage, as the catechism tells us, the importance of chastity, whether married or single, and why it reflects and redounds upon itself to show us the importance to think about all of those things when we think about our God. The beauty of this commandment as we consider it and the words of Jesus is that Jesus deepens this commandment and he broadens it. He gives it a fuller and more beautiful meaning but he also transforms this commandment as he gives it to us. So we look then at the words of Jesus as he deepens and broadens this commandment but also as he transforms it as he gives it to us. The issue of marriage and divorce was something that was thought about a lot in Israel in Jesus' day. And particularly as we look at the words of Jesus, there is this uh, passage from Deuteronomy chapter 24 that Jesus is interacting with most. The law of Moses recognized that uh, within Israel, within the society, that the nation that God had built, there were going to be imperfections and there were going to be problems. And so Deuteronomy chapter 24 regulates Divorce. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had jumped on this and and created a whole set of rules around divorce so that they could better navigate it. But they misunderstood it, didn't they? God's regulating the way that Israel carried out their divorces, give someone a certificate of divorce, that was not God's way of saying, feel free to end any marriage whenever you wish. Rather, it was God's way of regulating his people from falling into further disarray. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, when we come to the days of Jesus, had begun to take it as a freedom to use to their own advantage. They had taken this regulation from the law of Moses of giving a certificate of divorce as sort of a, a total freedom to do whatever you want with the institution of marriage. Permission from God to do whatever they wanted with their wives. Keep them, send them away, whatever you'd like that you can do. This provision was, again, not God giving total freedom, but regulating sin. It reminded me of a a situation in our United States tax code, which, of course, none of us, you know, maybe like to spend our Sunday nights thinking about it, but it illustrates the point quite nicely. In our tax code, if you steal someone else's property, our laws say that you must report its fair market value on your taxes as stolen property the year in which you stole it unless you return it to its rightful owner. So does this mean that the government thinks that it's okay to steal? Are they giving us permission to go and take other people's property? No. It's a way to regulate and accommodate an imperfect society. It forces a thief to break an additional law. It regulates evil behavior, but it does not bless evil behavior. In a sense, that is what God was doing in the Old Testament, recognizing that we're going to be all these imperfections in Israel and saying, if a divorce happens, this is what you are to do. Later in Matthew, Jesus goes toe to toe with the Jewish leaders on this issue and shows that what God had done was accommodate human sinfulness by giving this law in the book of Deuteronomy. We read in Matthew 19, the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. To what does Jesus appeal then to prove the sanctity and the exclusiveness of the marriage bond? He appeals to creation, things as they were at the beginning, before the fall, before sin had pervaded all things, before sin had corrupted our most intimate relationships. And what we must notice from Jesus is this term, one flesh. The way that Jesus describes a marriage, uh, the, the connection, the bond of a marriage, is not just biological and physical, but it is theological, isn't it? God joins a man and a wife together, a bond of unity that's created out of difference. The complementarity of marriage is intrinsic to what it is. The difference of male and female, that is what God joins together to create a unity out of their difference. Before the fall, there was no divorce because the disunity and destruction of these broken relationships is an effect of the disunity and separation from our covenant God. Our fellowship with God is severed. The perfection of that was severed at the fall. And we see all kinds of problems pervade all of our other relationships as well. Adultery Divorce, broken relationships, this is all a product of the captivity to sin in which we find ourselves in a fallen world, a human race that has become susceptible and enslaved to sin. So as Jesus teaches the people of Israel in his day about adultery and marriage and divorce, we see that this was a huge piece of the puzzle that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were missing. They thought that, hey, the Old Testament allows us to uh, have divorces so we can do it whenever we want, and in so doing, we avoid adultery. As long as we give a certificate of divorce, we're avoiding breaking the, second, the seventh commandment. So Jesus confronts that mindset. That's what Jesus is confronting in Matthew 5. Jesus says to the people, let me show you the fullest extent of this commandment. Outward conformity to rules does not please God. For God looks upon the heart and when he uh, sees the heart and when an impure desire fuels an outward conformity, then it is even worse. It is more evil than outward disobedience. So Jesus speaks with this searing word that quite literally cuts to the heart. What is it that he shows about God's purpose for marriage, which was from the beginning? It was to be a relationship of exclusive commitment and absolute fidelity. Contrary to the thoughts of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law of the day, a husband and a wife are to be sold out and committed to one another at all times and in every way. One of the most beautiful parts of the traditional marriage vows is that one little phrase that really sticks out in the marriage ceremony. At least it really sticks out to me. Whenever I witness a couple getting married, I'm always taken with the phrase, forsaking all others. In today's culture, we perhaps easily understand the need for love, the need for commitment, the need for sharing amongst one another to provide and to protect, to show care and affection. But do we understand that in marriage we are to forsake all others? This is what Jesus is saying in his comments about marriage. When a man looks at another woman with lust in his heart, He is forsaking the commitment he has made. He is breaking fidelity, uh, the fidelity that is commanded in God's law. It's no wonder that the disciples will later come to Jesus and say, if all of this is true, then it's better to not be married because it uncovers mountains of sin in each and every heart. Why should anyone get married? For what man has not looked at another woman with impure desires? What wife has not thought to herself, how did I get stuck with this man? Think of all the other better ones out there. When we do these things, we break the commandment of fidelity that is embedded in marriage. We are not forsaking all others. And in teaching us all of these things, Jesus is showing that the ultimate meaning of marriage is pointing us to something even greater. It is pointing us to the fidelity which human beings are to have to their God. That's what the seventh commandment ultimately is teaching us. That's why the seventh commandment is applicable to everyone. That's why the seventh commandment is applicable to everyone, not just even in a physical and a biological sense. That chastity is not just something that is part and parcel of outward obedience. Chastity and purity is part of inward obedience as well. It reflects upon our commitment and our love of God ultimately. Married, single, all people are to be faithful to God. It is no wonder then that the Old Testament often paints the relationship between God and his people as a marriage covenant. Isaiah 54 Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Isaiah 62, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Since this is in the Old Testament, we are probably tempted to read it as though God the Father is described as the husband of his people. But we must fight that tendency when we see Yahweh, the covenant God of Scripture in the Old Testament. We must fight the tendency to always see that as God the Father. Too often we, we, we read the Bible as God the Father is in the Old Testament and, and Jesus is in the Gospels and the Holy Spirit is uh, in the Epistles. But we must see that all throughout Scripture, Father, Son, and Spirit are working together to bring about the fullness of redemption. And what we can see from the whole scope of Scripture is that it is God, the Son, who is the husband of God's people, the church. He was the one who from all eternity would be given to us to be our provider and our protector, our prophet and our priest, our joy and our salvation. So then through this lens, how are we to see God the Father as it would relate to the whole sweep of redemption as he sends his son to be the bridegroom of his people? God the Father is then like the father of a groom who prepares to send his son off to a new life to live with his bride Times like these, if you're the father of the groom, are times of both great joy and great worry. The father of the groom hopefully sees in his son a faithful man who is ready to take on the responsibility of a new marriage. The father also wonders if the wife of his son will be the right one. He hopes that in her he will find a faithful and a loving and supportive wife. In short, the Father guards his Son with jealousy. God the Father is jealous to see that his Son would have a bride that would stand by him, that would be faithful to him. It brings into focus the way that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ desires us to be faithful to our Savior. Christ is our husband and the call upon the church is to be faithful to him to forsake all others, to love him to the detriment of the opportunity to love and to serve anyone else, to worship anything else. We are called to forsake all others as we love Jesus Christ. That is what marriage, the call to chastity, the seventh commandment teaches us. Really, if we think about it, ultimately the seventh commandment teaches us about Or brings us back to the second commandment. We start to see why it is so important for us to abstain from idolatry. Because God the Father is a jealous father of his son. Jealous to see the groom joined to a faithful bride. God desires purity in our faithfulness to him. Which is expressed in our faithfulness as the bride of Christ. So then, as we bring all of this around, I want to end by considering these two things, that marriage teaches us about Christ and Christ teaches us about marriage. It is not as if God wanted to find something that was a good analogy to, of the level to which we are to be committed to his son. God didn't look out at his creation and say, okay, uh, what, what's the best picture out here? No, it was the other way around. God placed in us from, from creation, he put into human beings deep sexual desires, strong desires for emotional intimacy and companionship. He made us in such a way that we understand the, the nature of marriage as needing to be exclusive, the way in which we cannot share these most intimate things with multiple people. There was a famous psychologist who had given his life to try and show a few things about psychology of sexual patterns of behavior. And what he did was uh, he reduced uh, the human being to having animal-like instincts and calling them good. He said every sexual instinct that a human being has is good and should be acted upon. There is no sin or betrayal when someone acts outside the bounds of their commitments because they're just acting on their instincts. Ironically, this man's life work was upended in the context of his own personal life, as his wife was driven to fits of intense jealousy and bitterness and anger when this man wandered off into homosexual activity. Love, sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy, and fidelity we all have a deep sense within us that these things cannot be shared with more than one person. Marriage is the God given, God ordained context in which to experience the fullness of all of these things together. And that's what's so beautiful about what thinking thinking about in marriage. We maintain our chastity. We maintain being chaste people because that is the only context in which it is proper to express ourselves sexually. And in marriage we see that God gives us the experience and the joy of our one true love on earth so that we might know in a deeper and fuller sense our one true love in God. But to return to the words of Christ in Matthew 5, what Jesus teaches us is that the standard of purity in marriage is so high none of us can ever achieve it. That's really what the words of Jesus do to us, don't they? They show us that really no one can ever reach the heights of the standard of marriage. And marriage is such an intimate relationship which is lived out in close proximity that we are constantly aware of our own spouse's failings each and every day. And hopefully, hopefully even more so, we're aware of our own failings each and every day. So... Spouses can often be driven to despair, can't they? But does this drive us to despair so that we might end up in a place of hopelessness? Is that why Jesus gives us all of these teachings? No. Marriage humbles us so that we might remember that only Jesus was ever pure with regards to this commandment. It is the holiness of Christ which makes us pure, and this is how Christ transforms this commandment As he gives it to us. This commandment and our marriages teach us to look and to depend on Christ. Rather than be hopeless in despair. Marriage teaches us about Christ. But we also see that Christ teaches us about marriage. Marriage points us to the purity and the washing that comes from him alone. But as it comes from him alone he teaches us about Marriage. When the weight of Scripture and its teachings on marriage are considered, we realize that Christians are in the best place out of anyone in the world. Christians are in the best place to have healthy marriages. Many people in today's world think that the idea of submission is archaic and oppressive, this idea of submitting to someone else. The, thus, the call in the Bible upon wives to submit to their husbands. Is thought to be a relic of the past, part of patriarchy and tyrant husbands, things we need to get past and over. But Christ is no dictator. He is the model leader for husbands to emulate. This is the other way in which Christ transforms the commandment as he gives it to us because he has shown us how to lead by sacrifice. For when Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, what we remember is that Paul has called everyone in the church to submit to one another and ultimately to Christ himself. The command for wives to submit does not appear out of thin air, does it? It's developed out of the need that we all have to submit to Christ. Furthermore, Paul tells us that the example of true leadership is Jesus and Jesus did not domineer or impose his own wishes upon his bride but he gave up everything that he had for her he laid down his very life as Paul says in order that he might present the church in splendor without any blemish the holiness and the purity of the church was the goal of Jesus Christ that's why he did what he did so that he might present the church pure and without spot or wrinkle. He did not view his bride as something to serve his own interests, but rather he served her. You see, in the solar system of God's commandments, Christ is the Son. He illumines them and he gives understanding to them. He gives us strength to carry out the commandments of God. He is the sun in the solar system of God's commandments. As both husband and wife submit to Christ, they enter their relationship with humility and and with gratitude for each other. Knowing that only by God's grace can such a relationship be sustained for the glory of God. A husband lays down his life for his bride and the wife is to trust that the husband acts in her best interests. This is the bedrock of healthy, sustained, God-glorifying marriages founded upon Christ with both spouses committed to the supremacy of Jesus in all things. That is not all, but Christ gives to each of us, all of us, married, single, all of us who are called to this life of chastity, this life of purity in a way that would show our commitment to our covenant God and King ultimately. He gives to each of us a wedding gift that is better and more useful than any trinket we will ever have that fills our home. Jesus gives us his presence by the Holy Spirit so that our desires might be changed. The Holy Spirit changes our desires And so that we might, in joyful submission, experience the change that just hearing the law can never do. Hearing the law can never change our hearts. But Christ gives us the Spirit, and the Spirit transforms us. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In our sex Soaked culture. It is not the example of celebrities. It's not the worship of sex symbols that we need. What we need is the power of Christ. Experienced through the Holy Spirit. Whether we come to a marriage as innocent, as humanly possible, or with loads of baggage, Christ can wash us clean and give to us the patience and the humility and the faithfulness to experience a purity that wells up out of Christ's work and through the power of the Spirit. We can love. We can love our spouses. We can love our neighbors. We can love our friends. We can love our parents. We can love our siblings. We can and we must love because he first loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are humbled once again to come before you to hear from your word to think that you loved us so much that you gave us your word and that you gave us the church, the school of Christ where we can come together and learn. Learn about your goodness. Learn about our imperfections. Learn about the many ways in which we need you each and every day. Father, in and through all of these things, call us, summon us to yourself. We are so thankful, so grateful to have you as our sovereign king. Father, in our frailty and our inability to see, we truly would not have it any other way. So thank you. Keep us faithful to you this week. Make us a faithful bride to our savior and king and groom, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.